0: Three weeks ago on Martin Luther King Day, our national holiday, that weekend leading up to the holiday, I had a chance to join with podcasters, dozens of podcasters from across the country, maybe some from around the world. Um, We joined together to attempt to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest uninterrupted podcast episode. And so we united for that great cause and and for charity um, to uh, create a historic event. And it was historic. It was uh, much like a family reunion. There were uh, folks that reminded you of your family members, aunts, uncles, nephews, cousins, nieces, mothers, fathers, grandparents. Um, throughout the, the entire weekend, my podcast, Let's Chew the Gum, I was honored to be able to be the anchor of sorts for that uh, record-breaking uh, effort. And uh, so I had the last segment before the closing remarks um it was such an honor to do that and so i knew i had to bring my a-game and and i bring my a-game i would like to think every time i come on the air to do a podcast with you guys Um, and i definitely brought my a-list my a-list consisted of an actress an activist an attorney and an artist and so i invited them on to be a part of that historic event just to have a, a free-for-all conversation like, you know, you guys have come to expect from Let's Chew the Gum and myself. Um, we discussed what MLK Day meant to us, and, and uh, we just had a, a great time. And it definitely was nice to come together. Yes, it was. And uh, so for this episode, I thought that I would share with you, now that we've rendered all of the audio from the <coughs> from the weekend, I decided to share with you the... Uh, segment that i um did for for that uh, venture and um yeah i think you'll enjoy it if nothing else um i definitely enjoyed it it was this historic moment and it was really great to be able to uh, share that space with so many others many of them uh the podcasters throughout the weekend i didn't know but we all supported each other and, and tuned into each other's segment um, and lended our time and talent for a worthy cause so, without further ado, I want to bring you that segment. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Let's Chew the Gum. I'm your host, Dr. K. Each time you tune in to Let's Chew the Gum, you can be sure of one thing you always have.
1: Something for your mind.
2: Nine. Something for your, for
1: your. So y'all can go ahead and start whenever you are ready. That
0: sounds great. Sounds great. Hey Angela, how you doing? Hey Phyllis. Hello. It did. We got a few more people coming on. I'm, I'm really glad you guys decided to join with me on this momentous occasion. This is a, um, a special event. I'm going to reintroduce myself again for those that are watching worldwide. I am Dr. K and this is Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z while we chew the gum. And I'm actually not chewing my gum yet. I'm going to tell the story about how that happened. We're going to talk about the importance of MLK in our, in our lives and what that has meant to us. And we're just going to have a conversation. Uh, most of you know that typically uh, my podcast is traditional, which is audio only. Um, but today, today because we're part of this uh, uh, Guinness Book of World Record event, we're going to do video podcasts as well. Hey, I see a few more guests. How are you doing, Arlene?
2: Good. How are you?
0: Good. Can you hear I'm good. I'm so glad you joined. Yeah, I can hear you good. Hear you good. Looking good. Thank you. My man, Brian, how are you, Brian? What's up? I'll be with all you right. Stronger. All right. All right. Good uh-huh. deal. Yeah, we're, I'm glad you guys um, joined in a little bit early. We want to make sure everybody can get the kinks out and that um, everybody's audio and videos are working well. Um, in a minute, I'm going to introduce or have you guys introduce yourselves to each other. All of you are special to me in one way or another which is why I asked you all to, to join me on this event. I was very selective. I had thousands of people to choose from, and I said, no, I need very select people. I, I love all my people. You guys represent the best of everyone that I know, and so that's why I wanted to have you guys on. Brian and Eileen, you guys just came on, and again, we'll have a couple of other guests that'll join the show. Um, I asked you guys to come on today again because I agreed to um, assist with some fellow podcasters across the country and around the world in an attempt to break the world record for the longest continuous uninterrupted podcast. And so this has been going on since Saturday. And again, we are a part Mm -hmm. of the second to the last segment. So there'll be one more hour after this. And hopefully once they go back and verify that there were no uh, lapses in in the audio or video and no one played any unauthorized music, um, they'll do their due diligence (laughs) and if it all works out, We'll get the certificate for breaking the Guinness Book of World Records. So I thank you guys again for for being on.
2: So we shouldn't break out into song then, because we don't know. If it's <laughs> no, no,
0: no, only only if only if it's your original. If it's look, if it's your original song, that'll be fine. You can do that. You can do that, but but no songs, right? Yeah, they'll they'll consider that dead airspace if there's any. Um anything like that. That'll be dead airspace. But that's okay. You know, all of you have been guests on my show, except for Phyllis. You haven't been on my show before, no?
1: That is correct.
0: Oh, so this is the, the first time everyone else has, has been a guest on the podcast before. And your your shows, um, all of you individually, your shows were amongst the highest rated shows that um I did. And and again, just for folks that are tuning in, let's see, is it I officially don't start until two o'clock, but For folks that are are still tuning in around the world, this podcast is called Let's Chew the Gum. You might hear me repeat that a few times, but again, it's Let's Chew the Gum, and the major question that I get, the overwhelming question that I get, aside from, you know, how can I meet Brian, you know, no, the, the major podcast that I get, I'm sorry, question that I get through the podcast email is, why is it called Let's Chew the Gum? Why is it called Let's Chew the Gum? Well, um, there is a story behind it. It's not haphazard. Um, I always explain to folks that, you know, growing up playing sports um, in Detroit, where I'm from, and also where Brian's from, I'll tell that story later. Um, But growing up in Detroit playing sports, sometimes I'd get kind of tired, you know, running up and down the court. And one day I started, I don't know if someone told me to, but I started chewing gum and it helped me to regulate my breathing. And I realized I could go run longer and play more games, you know, because I was regulating my breathing with the gum chewing so that was then fast forward i don't know 30 40 50 years <laughs> fast forward some decades and um still had that that habit of of regulating my breathing with when playing sports but also i would chew gum to help me focus when i was writing a speech or preparing for a conference or no matter what it might be it was just now a focus for me um so i was driving to uh work i was going to teach a class a night class um and I was in my car, and that's kind of my creative time. It's like an hour drive. So I try to occupy myself. I'll listen to podcasts or, you know, I'll give myself voice messages about, you know, activities or ventures I want to get involved with. And uh, so I w- have been doing that. And when I got to the class, I'm in the middle of my lecture and realized that I had not taken the gum out of my mouth before I began to speak. And we know culturally, you know, for us at least, people say you shouldn't chew gum and talk. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm 30 minutes in. I don't know how I'm, I'm just popping my gum. I don't know. But anyway, I immediately stopped and said, oh, my goodness, I apologize. I didn't realize that I was still chewing my gum. Let me take the gum out. And, and the whole class to a person said, no, it's okay. You know, they enjoyed the lecture. They said the lecture was flowing. Everybody was engaged. And I said, oh, okay, well, then let's chew the gum. And that, people. Is how the podcast had gotten its name. I was I that week. I had just purchased my first equipment for podcasting and had planned to, and didn't have a name. But you know, as providence will have it, would have it. That's how the name started, and so it stuck. And uh, yeah, Arlene, do
2: you do you know that there's a neurobiologist? Uh, he has a a podcast called Huberman Lab, and he just talked about how important it does, is for us to chew, and then he re- references a book that's all about how. We don't chew enough anymore, and we need to chew gum and things to keep our facial muscles strong and our digestion good. So you, you knew, you you had an that? intuition, and you okay. it helps you focus, and digest, and keep your muscles strong and your teeth and your jaws strong. That? So how
0: about that? Let's chew <laughs> yeah. the gum. So let's chew the gum. <laughs> Indeed. Well, let me let me go around, and I want I'm gonna I was gonna introduce all of you, but I would rather ha- let you guys introduce yourselves and and tell all these folks around the world that are watching um, who you are and and what you do. Um, And and I'm going to see it in my mind. I'm going to see is their bio more engaging than what I I was going to say. But I'm interested Ah. to hear. (laughs) And and looking at my screen, Phyllis is at the top. And then Angela is sort of there. So we're going to go with Phyllis, then Angela Brian, and then we'll round out with you, Arlene. Phyllis.
1: Good day, everyone. So um, my name is uh, Phyllis K. Morris-Green, and I am a retired attorney. Um, I basically did my career with uh, San Bernardino County Public Defender's Office. I was with the uh, county for 34 years. The last eight years of my career, I served as public defender for San Bernardino County. Um, See, I'm married, got four grand adorable grandchildren that keep me busy, and uh, I currently chair a committee called Reimagining Our Communities. Uh, We are the uh, social justice arm for uh, Millionaire Mind Kids, and basically uh, we address issues in the community through advocacy, encouraging people to become involved, to exercise the right to vote, to exercise their voice in terms of many community issues, and that's basically
0: what I do. All Thank. right. And, and I yes, indeed, uh, that's definitely worth a clap. I'm, I'm so grateful for all the work that Phyllis does with Rock and Millionaire Mind Kids in our communities. And that's how I'm affiliated with Phyllis. I, I work with her with reimagining our communities, um, sometimes um, as a member and sometimes as an assistant and, and whatever needs to be done um, in association with my nonprofit SCORE, which is securing communities of racial equity very similar to to the mission of Rock, and so I'm, I'm always glad to be affiliated. And thank you so much, Phyllis. All right, Angela.
3: Hi there. I'm Angela De Ramos, and in my role as a fifth grade teacher, I take what Phyllis said about using voice and voting, and try to get kids to 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 develop their voice, to have the agency to use their voice in the places they want to be. And one of the you know and the and the and the, the community belonging that makes them want to vote. <laughs> so hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm pre-planting the people you need for us in your work in my role as a, a fifth grade teacher. But I also represent in the union. I'm a, I'm a leader in the CTA and also a NEA. I'm an NEA director um, in California. And um, most recently, I'm a, also school board trustee. So I've been recently appointed, but it's another coined to the side of educational advocacy um that starts in the classroom. But you give me a platform, I'm gonna take it. If it's about there the kids and about supporting democracy, I'm there. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. One of the one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you on and, and that is how I'm affiliated with Angela for many years I, I've been involved with CTA as a um a labor organizer and leader and have I've met Angela at a few of our conferences throughout the state of California, Las Vegas, wherever we've been. And so I'm, I'm well aware of her advocacy and her love for children and, and our profession as educators. So, and congratulations, I was so excited when you became a board member, I was jumping for joy over here because I know that the type of energy and, and and instinct, insights and effort that you bring. And so I was very happy to know that you were in that position. Thank you, Angela. All right,
4: Brian. I'm a professional sculptor and uh, I've had the great pleasure of working on a variety of historical projects. The last 10 years, I've been at this for about 30 years and the first 20 years were just a a horrific, if the phrase may be allowed, ass whipping. And the last 10 years have been pretty good. Um, And uh, most of the projects I've done the last 10 years have been historical. So uh, when you say the word Martin Luther King Jr. My ears like they move forward like this and I uh, I try to catch any new insights I can. Um, I'm based in central Florida. I have a studio in uh, Longwood, Florida, but um, I have clients scattered about this side of the country uh, from Miami to Michigan and as far east as Virginia. And I'm, I'm working on a couple cool projects right now, which. Um, I suppose if you want to drill into that at some point later in the podcast, we can. But they're they're both historical projects.
0: I'm definitely,
4: definitely excited
0: to see your uh, latest work. And I, I know you, you uh, sort of leaked a little bit of, of what you were working on with me a, a few weeks back. And I haven't shared that. I haven't said a thing. So I'm excited about that.
4: Guys, I, I know still, Brian. The photographs are still top secret, but I can talk about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I haven't shared them and and, and there's secure on my phone. <laughs> okay. Uh guys, I, I know Brian. I grew up with Brian around Brian um as a child growing up in in Detroit, Michigan, and um he was uh, uh more associated with with a couple of my brothers, but I'd always had a, a fondness for Brian and and a, and a respect for just his uh just his insight. It was just the way about Brian when I grew up that, you know, it was one of those those people that I that I looked to and looked up to sort of as a as a a model, uh, someone that I would emulate. And and, um, I was very glad to be able to reconnect with Brian a couple of years back uh, during the pandemic. And he he came on the show and we had a phenomenal show about um, art and art history and the work that he does. And and Brian neglected to tell you as a result of our podcast, I'll let you say it, Brian, what what happened as a result of our podcast episode?
4: Oh, the the podcast episode became part of the uh, curriculum at a local university, uh, in three courses. Now I think it's now it's down to one, but um, I'll have to get that. I'll have to get out my records to recall exactly the names of the courses. But they're, uh, one had to do with the the humanities in general, and I guess the uh, the professor was intrigued by the idea that. Artists today have to go out and, and like sing for their supper and put in a lot of work, just like artists in the, in the days of uh, Michelangelo had to, they had to reach out to their, uh, their, uh, their sponsors and jump through a lot of hoops and, uh, do the song and dance. And, and at the, somehow this, this was important to the thesis. One of the theses he was presenting to his students. Um, the idea that this sort of thing uh, continues and that you know the artist is not isolated in some studio somewhere making stuff in secret. He's he's part of the civilization. He's located in the civilization that uh, he tries to sell his work to. Absolutely, yeah. I,
0: I was deeply honored that, that that podcast became a part of the curriculum. And it's all due to Brian's. If you guys go back and, and listen to the epi- episode, it's all due to his... Insight and eruditeness that that became a part of the curriculum. But I was de- definitely honored, and, and it was something that I had never imagined and didn't even think about happening. So I appreciate. I have students
4: stop me. I had students recognize me while I was sitting in a steak and shake. Oh wow! Aren't you the dude? You're the dude from the video. <laughs> the dude. How about and, that? Uh, and shake my hand and want to know, uh, you know, if if it was in fact me and how much they liked it and so on. It. It made, quite a, it made quite an impact on some kids. You know, some kids, it went in one ear and, and out the other. Uh, but there were enough enough students, I shouldn't say kids, there were enough students that were, uh, well, they, they seemed to be deeply moved by it. They were. It was like they had been teleported into some other little solar system. And they got a chance to hear about stuff that they had never really uh, thought that much about. And so that was very gratifying. Outstanding. That's amazing. Can I say something uh, about yeah. you and me? Sure. Uh, would you care to know the first time that it dawned on me that Tyari was uh, th- there's something different about you, different oh, wow. from that you know where 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 the little antenna in the back of my head went up and and focused down on you and said damn. Wow, I've, I've I never don't, heard that. I don't know how old you were. You might have been. 13 or something like that and uh, and I was I don't know maybe I was a couple years older I don't know I don't know how old anyone is but um, anyway, you use the word translucent instead of transparent and um, and that's when like in some register in my mind there was like a, there was a change of state. And I, and I said, oh, okay. Wow. And, and so when I found out ultimately that you were a professor and you had done all these other things after our long disconnection, that that came as no surprise. Wow. It, it,
0: it's amazing when you talk to people that, that you've known and that have known you before you knew yourself, the stories that they have, because that that's something that uh, obviously I, I don't remember. But I'm glad you shared that with me. That that's that's food for thought and food for growth. I appreciate that. Thank you.
4: I got stories for our our mutual friend uh, Roger Stubblefield. When I realized that he might make a dent as a uh, as a music composer back before he had uh, back before the idea ever occurred to him, that's a different story. He went sure. on. This is another mutual friend of ours. And Roger went on to compose music. Now people pay him to compose music. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Roger is actually my, my cousin. He's my blood cousin, actually, yeah.
4: Oh, okay. That's Yeah, that's yeah.
0: right. Yeah. You have actually, an extended family. Big family. You're a part of it. Thank God, you for saying that, Brian. Thank you. Eileen, you've been sitting there, and I'm so excited to have the folks know who you are and, and what you do. And uh, let's go ahead.
2: I always hate the introducing myself thing, but um, first, I wanted to say that um, I have a lot of teachers in my family, so I have great respect for those of you who work with kids, and my sister Mary was a teacher all her life, and her daughter is now, and uh, I also wanted to say that I was an artist. I I started out, you know, my creative adventures in life were a part of my development as a child who was in a wheelchair and my only way to really do things and express things was through art. And so my career started as an artist and and developed. I even went to college as an art major. So I really respect what art can do for people and the voice that it gives us and, and also the expression of what's boiling inside, you know, can come out in our creative adventures and then I wanted to say that Dr. K, I, <laughs> I did a podcast with him a while back, and I uh, was listening to you in the middle of this podcast we were having, and your stories, pff, mind-blowingly incredible. And um, And in getting to know you, I just have to mention that I deeply respect you, because You're just so fair and open to empowering everyone. And that's such a beautiful thing. And then when you hear where you've been in life, to me, it all makes sense because we have to have been through hell to really get to a place where we respect and appreciate everyone's struggles. So, and I appreciate and respect you for caring about the community that I advocate for because that's me I'm uh, a person <laughs> who went into the entertainment industry um, kind of got pulled into it from from my art world and into creating in this other um, industry and by default because of my own challenges from having been a kid with a spinal cord injury in a wheelchair, I became somebody who, in order to work in my own industry, I had to fight to change it because there was zero acceptance for people with any kind of uh, difference, disability, challenge, there just was zero acceptance for it in the years that I started. And very few people pursued their dreams in the entertainment industry if they had anything perceptibly different you know, I used to say they would always just point at what's wrong with you. They'd be like, oh gosh, she's limping. And I'm, in my brain, I'm going, if you only knew where I came from, you'd appreciate this limp. But, you know, they didn't care in my younger years. And so the battle began. So I am an actress, I'm a writer, I'm a producer, occasional director. And I have been uh, an advocate for the inclusion of people with disabilities in the entertainment industry and beyond. And and my travels have taken me <laughs> all around the world and even into the office of Stephen Hawking where I got to have an amazing conversation and on panels with people like Temple Grandin and meeting incredible people like all of you. And um, and it's been quite a journey and we have shifted the entertainment industry to include more people regardless of their differences. and. I think we're we're inching forward and days like today are reminders to us how wonderful it is when we empower people instead of disempower them. And that's what I set out to do. I set out to empower everyone and make everyone realize that every human being has hopes and dreams and they have a right to live their, their hopes and dreams. Uh, regardless of whatever difference they have, whether it be mental, physical, um, any of it, and so that's me. That's who I am.
0: And and so much more. Yeah, yeah. And and I would say so much more. And and I'm always appreciative of, of the work you do as an advocate. And and uh, obviously, I'm a I'm a fan of your work.
4: <laughs>
0: All, you know, you guys can see her in quite a few. Um, films and and television shows, probably some of your favorites. She's been in them and, and, you know, we connected oddly through social media, I believe during the pandemic. And, and, you know, once we talked and, and decided to do a show together, we became fast friends and and had so much in common. And so, you know, I'm always keeping up with what you do. And and again, you were on the top of my list, along with these other folks, as far as who could I bring on today to the show that could represent you know, the spectrum of individuals with that have integrity, the spectrum of individuals that work and live with character, that that wake up with the purpose and can see the world beyond themselves. And so that's why I asked all of you on today. Um again, it, it's it's MLK Day. And and so when I had this opportunity to be a part of this world record breaking uh extended podcast, I thought, man, how, how uh, convenient that it would be that I would get to come on on MLK Day, right? As I said, it's been going on since Saturday. Um, and, you know, just a few days ago, I, I was doing a podcast, I have a group of students, um, high school students that um, are advocating for social justice um, with, uh, within our campus and on our, on our communities. And a few weeks back, I decided that well, they asked if they could do a podcast. And so I started producing a podcast for them. they've been phenomenal with the topics that they've talked about it it started with discrimination on campus um they did a podcast on mental health and and these students were so transparent and so real It, it makes it makes me not feel ashamed but it makes me hope that other adults will listen in to the voices of these young people because they are just that they're people and sometimes with this with generations today right we say this generation we can you know, sort of be um, dismayed at at some of the behavior we we see and and may think that they don't have it all together. But these young people are sharp, and there's a lot of young people out there, our future leaders, who are are taking the helm at some of these issues. The the last episode they did, uh, which was Thursday, um, and as a matter of fact, that show aired today, so those that are listening, you can go on Um, and find Let's Chew the Gum on on any podcast platform, wherever major podcasts are downloaded, and hear the episode that they did on self-segregation. A student came to me, one of them, and said that, you know, Dr. K, um, I wanted to to talk about this issue. At at elementary schools, my brother was saying that students are self-segregating at such an early age, and so she wanted to explore that. And so we had conversations about that. We did a podcast to talk about why that may be happening especially as a result of all the years that you know we fought and struggled to end segregation why is this happening again and so in as an extension of that i wanted you guys to come on today really to to talk about uh mlk and and what the day means for you or what mlk has meant for your life in any particular way and so it's really an open forum um, we have uh, plenty of time to to discuss it. We have about 40 minutes left on our segment. So that gives us some some time to, to have some great insights. And um, in, in this way, I'll leave it open. Um, no, I won't leave it open. I'll organize it. We'll start with Angela first this time, though. We'll go with the, the back way. We'll go with Angela, then Phyllis, Eileen, and, and end out with Brian. So um, just a few words that 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 you may have or thoughts that you may have about the Influence the, that MLK may have had on your life or the influence on society or, or any aspect that you want to speak of please be free
3: Well, I'm, I'm I really actually want to have this int- this conversation about the self-segregation I, I had a conversation oh. with someone in the national boards recently and I, and my take on it was because you see that But you know if you flip it, it's an affinity space. It's a safety space. It's a, a choice to be safe amongst peers and if kids are not, if they're, if they're choosing this, you know, is, is it self-preservation in the face of what? So then we think about our conditions at school that are, you know, that people seek out safe spaces like an affinity space. And then a, that a teacher would call it also self-segregation in the history of segregation I thought was really interesting. I don't think every term, I wouldn't use that term if they chose it. But I would, it would you know? You look at the way, um, you know, we're diagnosing the, the the conditions of learning by what they, how they, how kids act, how they learn. So I think that's just a, a really um, an indicator of where we are as a society. And I think as an educator, you know, then what do we what do we do? So you know, your your framing of this question, though, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back to to a quote that I subscribe to. Um, of of Martin Luther King's um, about the function of education, which is to teach one to to think intensively, to think in, uh, to think critically. But it's about character. It's not just about intelligence and the content and you know delivering math and and science. And it's it's the character to then to me inter- I, the way I'm interpreting it is to use it, like use your superpowers for good so that to me is the character piece and that's the piece where it's you know we're talking about self segregation if we're talking about character then we're also talking about you know the belonging the community the sense that we're, you you said it you're greater than yourself it's it's you know you're working towards something larger in this case of classrooms it's you know the classroom setting but we want that to that 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 feeling of having a character and being um uh being responsible for something larger than yourself, and being able to, and then you know, my job as a fifth-grade teacher is to make sure they have the skills to back that up and make it happen. So to me, it's everything—everything everything about um, self-agency, about you know, uh, economic justice, about environmental justice. All roads lead to whether these kids can do recognize the problem and do the work. So some, you know, I'm listening to all this trend of of no CRT, no this, no that. I'm almost say it, I, I, I totally support Crt as interpreted towards critically thinking about what you know our history, our society, the structures that we have, and then being able to do something about it. That, to me, is what it's about. And if that's what they're fighting against, then i'm I'm, I'm proudly say I'm all about CRT as defined by that parameter. So it's what we do because Absolutely. it's a human right.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. No, crit- critical literacy is is high at the top of the, the list of, of the important skills that, that I would think um, we would teach any student at, at any level. And, and it's not, you know, you, it, for me, it's not negotiable. I, I, don't, I don't think that we can afford to have a, a, an uninformed or dumbed down society that just accepts because um, individuals that may be in positions of power um, want you to accept because otherwise it's a threat to their positions and power and and I'll I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you for that. Phyllis.
1: Thank you. So what does MLK Day mean to me? Well, I was a child in the sixties and my parents were from the state of Mississippi and my father was in the military. Um, And so even though at that time at a very young age I didn't understand discrimination, but I knew that it made me feel ugly, so as to say. So my father's squadron got shipped out from Ohio to California, and there were a group of families traveling together. We were the only African-American family, and there were three white families traveling with us, Um, and we went the southern route, so we went through the south um, because it was a winter time to avoid the snow and uh i remember stopping at a restaurant and they refused to serve us or they refused to serve the african-american family right um and so everyone in that group says either you serve them or no one eats here um that night we ended up in the parking lot of a supermarket eating sandwiches um there were times when we went to stop to uh sleep at a hotel and it was the same response we'll sleep you guys, but we're not sleeping them. Um, and the attitude was either you take us all or we will continue on. And so we would continue on a couple of times driving all night uh, until we found a place that would accept everyone. So then um, we finally made our way out here to, to California. Um, and I have to say that for me, California was an eye-opening experience. And I began to understand Uh, Now, as I grew and became older, Dr. King's vision of us walking hand in hand together, um, that uh, there was more freedom for me in terms of education, Uh, not to say that there was no discrimination, there was discrimination, um, but there were people that were standing up and using their voice. And that's when I became to understand, I became aware of the power of the voice. Uh, Dr. King is known for his words, right? And his words allow us to gather together as a collective voice. And when African Americans found their collective voice, they found their power. And they became empowered. And we saw the change occur in the 60s. And a lot of the battles that we face today are the same battles in the 60s. They're just repackaged differently, right? We have the same challenges. Um, And we just have to remember that Dr. King, he had the courage to stand up and face his enemies, to face the system. Um, It is systemic in terms of what we fight against. Um, And we have to use that example as we go forward. Dr. King was a great national leader, but we have to understand that we are all leaders. We are all leaders in our community, on our block, whatever it is, and that with our voice, we can bring about a change in our community, and I agree with you in terms of CRT. I think that we should teach history the way it should be taught. Now, I had freedom out here in California, but I can tell you that Black history was sanitized. You know, uh, what uh, what was taught to me in school was different than what was taught to my cousins that lived in Chicago, which was different than what was taught to my cousins that lived in the South. Okay, um, and I definitely received a sanitized. Uh, version of that history, and to and one of my fears is that when we look at MLK Day, that that day, the the history surrounding Martin Luther King in many ways can be sanitized. Um, and and uh, my 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 husband and I we were talking about this the other night, and we said, you know, when 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 you look at MLK today, he stands for um, everyone that's been oppressed. But he said the reality is is that He stood for African-Americans at a time in the 60s. His message resonates with everyone that has been oppressed, right? But it was an African-American movement in the 60s um, because there were many systems that held us down. And it was our turn, our time to break through. Um, And so um, I I am glad that we have MLK Day. Um and to acknowledge the accomplishments of not only Martin Luther King, but um of Americans who can come together and stand for justice, whether it's social justice, financial justice, uh, educational justice, whatever it may be, but to understand that we are people first. Thank
0: you. Absolutely, absolutely. I uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that message with, with, with everyone. Um, again, just a, a quick recap, folks. We are uh, attempting to break a Guinness Book of World Records, and we're sharing our thoughts on MLK Day. We're sharing our, our thoughts of who we are, sharing with the world our, our individual um, talents that we've been blessed to have, that, that we um, willingly share with others to inspire and make positive change. And, and this segment is Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z. I have fantastic uh, guests here today. Um, before I move on to Eileen, I just wanted to say, Phyllis, that I don't think I've pro- ever, ever said this, but um, like a lot of folks, I knew your dad. Um, I first met your dad about 1999 or 2000, and I saw him frequently because I was always at, at various events, and every time I saw him, it was always a great interaction. He'd come up and grab my shoulder. I don't know if that was a thing he did, but he grabbed my shoulder and kind of... Massage my shoulder and kind of throw some words of wisdom in my ear. And, and I was always a willing listener and, and always appreciated it. And, and no matter where we were, when I saw him, he would get up out of his space to come and greet me and ask me how I was doing and what's going on and, and just to encourage me. So I just wanted to share that that thought. It just occurred to me as you spoke about him. Thank you.
1: Yes. Yes. And thank you so much. My, 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 my dad was a person who uh, would talk to anyone. You know, he would talk to the rich, he would talk to the working individual, he would talk to the poor, he would talk to the homeless, he would talk to the addict, you know, he always says that you need to recognize people so that they can see their value in themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, that? yeah. Amazing. So thank you for those kind words. I appreciate
0: amazing. it. Amazing, amazing. All right, Eileen. Um, so again, uh, you know, open form. you know, you can frame your, your responses any way you want related to any experience that you may have had. Um, on this MLK Day as, as we reflect upon, you know, the influence in our lives or, or what have you. So the floor is yours.
2: Well, first, I want to say Phyllis's dad sounds amazing. He sounds like somebody we would all love to know. And I'm grateful to you for sharing what you went through in the 60s and your experience of it. I don't have any Place to speak on your life experience at all. But I'm so grateful to those who are willing to share what they've been through so that more people understand because that's the only way we can change things is if we all hear each other's stories and try to understand. Um, The reason that this day has impacted my life um, and this man has impacted my life his message is so powerful and will resonate forever. I believe, uh, as you said, for any community that's been oppressed or any human being who's felt oppression, oppression or discrimination. And um, you know, as I told you, I advocate for a community that is still experience experiencing immense discrimination and. In the years, I've told this before to Dr. K, uh, in the years of the battles, you know, most people didn't wanna stand beside us. Like Phyllis was saying that the whole group said, well, if you're not gonna accept all of us, we're moving on. And it's beautiful that people stood with your family in that battle. You know, what I've found in the entertainment industry is too few people have the courage to stand beside people with disabilities and say, we're with you in this battle. And that's been a painful thing to be standing alone in this battle. Um, But I noticed, and I think I shared this with you, Dr. K, that um, when it was blatant and cruel in a moment, in a crowd, the only people who ever stood beside me and spoke up were ones who had experienced discrimination. And several times that was... African-American black men who quickly, without even thinking about it, stood beside and said, walk with me. And it moves me every time I share that because I know why they did that and why they had the courage. And it's because they they knew this, they saw this, they understood it. And when it's cruel and blatant and mean, um, most people just mm-hmm. sit back and say, this is not my problem. And when you have somebody who will stand beside you, it does empower you and make you feel seen like Phyllis was saying her father will speak to anyone and let them feel seen as a human being. So in the worst years of the battle, and I'm telling you the battle is still continuing and the pandemic only made it worse for people in the disabled community because for a lot of reasons, but the big one being that You know, this community was seen as less valuable when it came to medical resources that might be needed. They were denied medical care because everything was shut down for, you know, just COVID, even though people had critical medical care they still needed. In addition, the people who weren't able to be vaccinated um, were mostly in the disabled community because it was too dangerous for them, and they were treated again like, lepers outcasts even though they didn't have a choice in the matter and um without really risking their life and you know there's there's always a reason to keep pushing this this group of people away and they are every race they're every color they're every age they're every religion they are every gender uh, they're everywhere in our world and their challenges are already enough like society doesn't have to add to that. It's hard enough to survive as a person with a disability because your medical needs are more, because people keep you out more, because people are afraid of your differences. And so in the worst years of the battle, I used to look to anyone who fought for, for equality and fairness and rights. And one of the people I always went back to looking at how to do the battle was Martin Luther King, you know, he, he talked about, you know, it's hard not to be enraged when you're impre- oppressed, it's hard not to be enraged when you're unfairly kept out of work, and unfairly kept from making an income, and therefore your health insurance, and the things that are going to keep you alive, it's normal human nature to have rage, and rage, if, if, if you don't let people do what they were meant to do in the world, or what they're dream is that rage will destroy something if if people don't get out of the way and let you live and so you know he always said with love that we could walk hand in hand right and that's been a constant inspiration to me to find the way to fight the battle without letting the rage <laughs> destroy because there's a lot of rage you know when you're kept out of work and the, your medical care and you know for many years up until not too long ago you couldn't even get health insurance if you had those pre-existing medical conditions so therefore if you didn't come from a family with money you didn't get what you needed to to just be able to navigate life with your medical challenges and, I, and I'm telling you this from a very personal and deeply vulnerable place. But I know I've fought all my life just to make enough money to get the medical care I need. And it's still way less than what I need to like live my fullest life. And I, and I hate that for anyone. So I'm grateful to Martin Luther King uh, for the love he found in the midst of the battle and that he was able to get that message across that this is about love and this is about everybody working together to give everyone an equal and equitable space to just simply live that's not asking so much and i'm grateful to every human being who can look at any other human being and say i see you as a human being and i honor your right to live your dreams and to make a living and to make your health care and to have a home and to be free to do what it is you want to do in the world. And so for all the people who've stood up, spoke up, marched, fought, you know, I've also looked at a lot of the stories from the Holocaust. There's another group of people who were atrociously oppressed and another community that was, the people tried so hard to keep down and out and then women (laughs) there's a whole lot of years where women were also kept down and oppressed and kept out and it seems like i i get confused through the years because i'm like every decade are they going to come up with a new group to keep out or another reason to keep people out and why can't we all just help each other in (laughs) why can't we all just help each person live their best life and not too long ago, I was in church and just again praying for strength, guidance to keep going in the battle, and and I and I heard this priest say, you know, every one of us has incredible strengths, talents, abilities, and they're all different. And it's when we all share our talents and abilities that everything comes together and and works. Everybody gets empowered if. If everyone's talents are honored and your talents are different than mine, and even with disability, I always tell people, it doesn't mean you can't do something. It pretty much means you're focused on what you can do. And then what you can do, if you put your focus on it, it becomes exceptional. And can't we all benefit from every human being being exceptional at what they're good at, you know, being the top of the bar? So. And I know Dr. K and I talked about this is like if everybody were absolutely doing their very best, not enough to get by or demanding something they haven't earned. None of that, but actually being given the opportunity to shine where they want to. What a magnificent world we would live in. So I'm grateful to Martin Luther King. Um For the message he sent out into the world, and I think the reason that it has been so enduring and impactful um, to so many people worldwide and and probably for eternity is because it was about empowering people in a positive and loving way. and It was not about shaming or putting people down or keeping anybody else low or taking rights away from anyone else, it was all about giving. Rights and love and power to others. I think I think that was my perception anyway, and um, that's my expression of how it impacted uh, my world and my own battle, which we're still fighting. There you go.
1: Great,
0: <laughs> great, well said, well said. I mean, you, you, you dropped a lot of lot of gems in there, as I like to say. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know one of my favorite quotes, and uh, I may be paraphrasing, but a threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And and sometimes folks hear that, and I I don't know if they really inspect and absorb those words. A threat to justice anywhere. Because the moment we start to accept an injustice is the moment that it starts to spread. And and quite often in our society, as you said, folks turn a blind eye to that injustice. And then before they know it, it's at their doorstep. And so it truly is a threat to justice everywhere. So we we, we have to remain diligent. I appreciate your message, Arlene. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you. Thank you.
0: Brian.
4: Well, my take on all this is going to sound a wee bit selfish because I'm always looking for tools, uh, anything I can use to help myself out because the realm I operate in is so treacherous. And um, so I, I, I came away with, Three different. I look at it from three different angles. I look at Martin Luther King Jr. from three different angles, which and I probably have. I probably gonna. Ha- you're gonna have to shut me up at some point because. Um, anyway, let, let me see if I can give you the Reader's Digest version of how I see things. If, the first angle is I, I feel uh, gratitude and humility in the face of history. I've, I I I I see Martin Luther King as resting atop a, uh, a huge pyramid of glacial dimensions. Um, maybe up there with a handful of other people in history who were known to us. And then the bulk of the pyramid is composed of people who um, are largely unknown. But the pyramid has its depth and its gravity because of all the people in it. And they all play a part And a lot of the people in the pyramid Uh, were women, especially women who participated in the civil rights movement, because they were the ones who uh, it was a national movement. And there were a lot of trains that had to be that had to run on time. And a lot of uh, critical stuff that had to be done, that the guys, you know, being operating in a patriarchal system as they did, uh, relegated to, to women. So, uh, the logistics and uh, and other imperative functions of the civil rights movement. I'm always amazed at at, at at how much women had a role to play in that. And when I do these these sculpture projects, these historical projects, I always enter it um, with the sense that uh, I've got this thing under control. Like my my knowledge of history is now is sufficient, having extended my arms around the bulk of it, and then. When I'm done, it's all I prove to myself all over again that somebody has opened a little solar system of knowledge that that I didn't even know existed, and that's the humility part it uh the continual reminder of the stories out there that are uh that our civilization is, uh, it, it depends on, it. you know, the people who, uh, who are part of these, these movements to upgrade humanity. We, we're entirely dependent on their efforts and yet their stories are untold. So um, the gratitude comes from knowing that if these, uh, if this pyramid of human beings didn't exist, then uh, I wouldn't exist. And that if the pyramid were not to have been built, then the, uh, the, the concrete floor upon which my chair is resting now, the earth below it would fall away and the concrete would cave in and all this gear and my tools and equipment would fall into the hole. And it wouldn't matter if I were a good sculptor or not because there'd be no opportunities for me so uh it's it's that kind of reflection i think that's helpful it it keeps you from thinking of yourself as a big fish you know uh i'm a big fish in a little pond if i if i stand on my uh on my stoop and survey my world but um the gratitude and the and the humility go hand in hand in helping me uh uh, uh Fix my fix my place in the world, and 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 understand that without all these people who came from before me, uh, there would be no Brian Owens art. And then there there's another angle, um, I call it uh, this attitude adjustment from the uh, in the face of of history, and by that I mean I'm always looking for some kind of what kind of tools? What kind of mental tools or, or devices can I extract from these projects to, uh, to help guide me? Something, something practical. And, like in my imagination, I see my imagine, I see I, I see my studio populated by uh, the people that we know the the best or, or the or the names that we. Uh, that are most familiar to us, the Martin Luther King's and the Malcolm X's. Martin Luther King is over there chatting with, uh, with his subordinates and Malcolm X is over here having a talk with Gandhi and maybe Thurgood Marshall is chatting with um, Frankie Freeman. And I'm here doing my sculpture. I know these people are not here. I'm not crazy, but in my imagination, I see them like stopping for a moment and turning to me and saying, uh, well, you may not have everything that you need. You may, you may not have all of the resources you feel you need to, uh, to do this thing, but that's no excuse. You have to do it anyway. You have to accomplish the mission anyway. And, uh, And we like you, but uh, we don't give a damn about your pain and your grief. Because you're the one who got to live. And if we catch you feeling sorry for yourself, we're going to give you a slap. And then I see it from another angle, where in 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 the making of one of my projects, I became introduced to the concept of the black swan, which you may you may all know this stuff already, but for our viewers, the uh, a black swan is a very small uh, event that is usually completely unpredictable, that has enormous consequences. And the consequences are so explosive that they tend to overwrite the evidence of the small event that triggered the whole thing in the first place, and it tends to disappear from history. And uh, I became a, I became familiar with that concept during one of my previous projects. I did a I did a project for Saint Augustine, and uh, Saint Augustine was the uh, it was the first city. Or rather, it was the last city in the United States to be drawn into the civil rights movement. It was 1963, 1964, and the civil rights movement had been in full swing for maybe nine or ten years. And uh, after nine or ten years, if you ask if you ask a soldier why it's a really bad idea to remain in contact with your enemy for nine or ten years, they'll just straight up tell you because the enemy will adapt. To your tactics, which is what happened. Uh, both sides, the segregationists and the uh, and the marchers, had adapted to the tactics of the other. Except the segregationists had the uh, uh, they had the option of escalating violence, where the uh, uh, where the marchers had built in limitations as to how they could respond to violence. And so it it stands to reason that by 1963, 1964, St. Augustine was like the most violent place where the end of the civil rights movement played out. And I did a sculpture for St. Augustine that's that's in downtown St. Augustine. Uh, Right now it's a permanent feature of the city. But the reason I bring all this up is that Martin Luther King visited St. Augustine. I forget exactly when it was. I think it might have been late 63 and uh, he had sent andrew young down because it was their, it was their estimation that the uh, that their methods and techniques of peaceful disobedience and, and and so on and marching would not uh they weren't a good fit for this situation given the level of violence that was being uh, directed at the marchers and so martin luther king sent Andrew Andrew Young down to uh, to basically get the uh, the black marchers to withdraw, and they wouldn't do it. We like hey, Mr. Young, but we're going to go ahead and do this our way. And Martin Luther King came down and spoke to the group of uh, I forget the, I forget the, who the organizers were in Saint Augustine, but they were highly organized, exceedingly well organized, and and highly disciplined. And, uh, when King was here, his, uh, of course, people knew that he was in town. He was staying somewhere in the area. Um, a local paper published the address of the, of the, ad- the address of the house where he was staying. And then, uh, it was promptly destroyed with the, a few sticks of dynamite. And happily Martin Luther King was not inside because the, uh, uh, the civil rights workers had uh, had predicted accurately that such uh, an attack might happen, and and King was elsewhere. So I say all that to say that the lessons that that I draw from uh, St. Augustine have to do with uh, uh, flexibility and being able to uh, circle back to. The very things that you fear the most, not because uh, you're driven by some, uh, not because you refuse to quit, but because you've adapted, you have survived and you've got new tricks up your sleeve. You've got new strategies, new tactics, and you're going to try again to blast through this problem uh, uh, in a thoughtful way. And but getting back to that whole Black Swan thing, after after King left, and King had his car was shot up. He had, this was an attempted murder by way of dynamiting a house. After uh, King left, another, another outfit, it's just a group of college kids under the direction of another civil rights outfit called the SL, SCLC. I forget the name of it.
0: Yeah, S C L C what's that? Slick Oh I said yeah, S C L C
4: Yeah S C L C These college kids uh, under the remote control of some adults elsewhere came down and decided and, and, and they basically uh, integrated the swimming pool at the at a at a motel called the Monson Motor Lodge. And to make a long story very short. With these black and white students swimming in this motor lodge swimming pool, uh, the, the the response of the manager and the local police was so violent that and it and happily was caught on uh, was caught by photographers who were there photographing the whole thing. Those photographs were uh, were taken. At a point in history where it was it had it had become recently possible to broadcast those images to the four corners of the earth at low cost, and so people who were taking these photographs were taking photographs of this event uh, and and this uh, uh, the 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 attempt on the uh, on the poli- on the part of the police and the Monson Motor Lodge manager to injure these these students, those photographs were taken on one day, and then they were printed in newspapers around the world the next. Now, all this was happening while uh, Washington was presenting the United States as a force for good in the world, the ultimate force for good, uh, the ultimate combatant against its evil nexus, the Soviet Union. And and here you have these shameful pictures of uh, a cop, leaping through the air with his baton to attack someone who's in a pool and w- while the manager pours muriatric acid into the pool. So why am I describing all this? Uh, it was the uh, a lot of historians believe it's impossible to know with with precision and certainty, but a lot of historians believe that it was the uh, dissemination of those photos, that allowed enough political pressure to be felt in Washington so that the Civil Rights Bill of 1964 was ultimately passed. It had been debated for a long time. It, you know There was a filibuster going on and when the international uh, pressure was felt from, the, from those photographs being taken, um, the filibuster, filibuster stopped. And when the filibuster stopped, that led the way for the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which was actually written into a law several months later in order to coincide with the Fourth of July or something like that. So why am I saying all this? The Black Swan was were the kids in the swimming pool, and the network effect that it had, and all of which was completely unexpected. So, as I as I do these projects and I, and I learn these cool things, these, these, these little bits and pieces of history that remain largely unknown, and, and you know, there's no reason to study this stuff unless you're uh, unless you're doing a project doing projects as I do. They f- they factor prominently into my little bag of tricks. They're like uh, they're like tools in my toolbox the most the most precious and the most powerful tools of course being the tools that that, that live up here so the idea that that there are unknown unknowns and has as has shaped the way that I negotiate with people if I'm doing a contract for something important I go into the situation expecting there to be Little black swans. Some of them could explode in my favor. Some of them could terminate the deal. And it's my job to find out where mm-hmm. those black swans are. Uh, and if I if I talk to people at length, and I haven't detected any black swan or or the or, or I haven't detected the shadow of a black swan out of the corner of my eye, then that means that I probably didn't do my job probably didn't dig deep enough. So Martin Luther King and uh, and all of this is, I think of as helping me refine and uh, sharpen these little tools that I need in order to navigate my way through uh, this crazy world. In a profession that's one of the most difficult profession, uh, professions to uh, succeed at, at all, except perhaps for the profession of, of uh, professional entertainers and actors and directors and writers, which is even tougher than mine. And I told you my, my take was going to be was going to be uh, selfish, but it has to be that way because. The road I the road I go down is so treacherous. Love it. End
0: of speech. No, I love it. I love it to to, to all of you. To all of you. I, I uh you know you never you never know um, how things turn out, but I, I think I chose absolutely well. I think I hit the mark one hundred percent dead center when I chose the four of you. Um, and invited the four of you to come on this particular episode to share your insights. I, I can't imagine if I would have gotten as many gems uh, yeah thank you in the chat thank you. I couldn't imagine that I can't imagine that I, I would have gotten as many gems and such a variety of stories, input, experiences, important anecdotes and information to go out from any other group bar none, bar none and so. I wanna thank you all for sharing. I, I know, I, I feel in my heart that these messages have made a great impact and the reverberation is gonna be far and wide from what you guys all shared today. And, and so I would just say great job to all of you. Um, I know that I, I think my segment is up, it's, it's 3.01. Um, It, it was an hour long segment, but man, well done. I've been tuning in all weekend to different parts of this of this show. Thank you guys so much um, for, for those that are listening around the world. You know, MLK, uh, for me, just to, to be brief and, and, and to move on to the next segment has has meant quite a bit. Um, I remember being a, a young kid growing up in Detroit and, and knowing that Dr. King had visited there. I'm um, listening to Stevie Wonder's song, Hotter Than July, or the album where he coined it and, and, and has the, the, the happy birthday song. Looking at the photographs of when Dr. King was there. And being a young guy and going on the marches to, you know, hopefully make his birthday a holiday and, and doing you know presentations in schools and, and and before adults. Um, so my life has been full of advocacy and and to you know try to do all I can for others while I try to do as much as I can for myself. Um and so I just want to again say thank you. Yes, knowledge is power. Someone says thank you for all those gems. They learned a lot, and that's what it was about, guys. So again, this has been let's chew the gum the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z while we chew the gum. We've been a part of this March to the Record book. This was our segment of the March and and we hope we did you guys justice in grabbing the baton and passing it on to our next segment and to all of you around the world. We thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Angela, Eileen. Thank you, Phyllis. You guys were fantastic. Again, let's chew the gum. Email us at let's chew the gum at gmail.com. We thank you again. And remember, we always have something
1: for your mind something for your mind don't you forget it what kind of something
0: for your don't you forget it mind something for your this was a dope event for oh. real ah uh, it was worthy uh, having some dope conversations, meeting some new dope people, just this, this last one—good God, uh,
4: <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfection personified. Um, it was everything that you could ask for and more. It was. It was deep. You were part of something that will forever be synonymous with this weekend. That was the the best ending.